Hello, I'm Jeremy Phillips. Incredibly, there are still some people living in the UK who have never seen our greatest cultural export, Doctor Who. I've decided to conduct a new experiment, subjecting hapless victims to a randomly chosen adventure from the series' original run in the 60s, 70s and 80s, recording their responses and trying to bring them into the fold, whether they want to join or not. My first subject is my good friend and French person Emmanuel Arsquet, so listen as I activate the randomizer. Hello, Manuel. Hello. Now, I've heard that you have never watched an original series episode of Doctor Who. Never. Right. I'm Doctor Who virgin. Have you seen the modern series at all? The, mm, the one that's running now? Not an entire episode. Just okay. like bits here and there. Probably one. Once. Can you remember anything about it? Uh, no, I remember it not being hooked too much. Oh, well, <laughs> that, well that's a really positive sign. Sorry about that. That's fine. Well, this is part of a new project I've started um, to show uh, Doctor Who neophytes mm -hmm. the original series from the okay. 60s, 70s and 80s with a randomly selected story each time. Okay. And as my first subject, I mean victim. Victim, right. Um, I'm feeding your information now into the special uh, Podnos computer. Uh-huh. And it's come out with The Dominators. Great. Okay, good. Broadcast August and September 1968. Okay. With Patrick Troughton as the second Doctor. Okay. So given the fact that it's literally melting the tarmac off the road today, mm -hmm. this was also broadcast in the middle of summer. Perfect. There's a good link there. It even starts with the Doctor wanting to go over to the beach. <laughs> I might want that. So, um, listener, we'll report back in two hours after we've finished watching it. And then Emmanuel will be able to tell you how great she thought it was. <laughs> so, we've uh, finished watching The Dominators. Um, Emmanuel, do you have any questions? Uh, I think I asked my questions along the way, really. Um, I'm not too sure if I have any technical questions. Okay. No, I'm fine, I'm fine. Did you Shoot your questions. Did you enjoy it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure enjoy... I think at the, at the moment, yeah, I was intrigued in some parts. But I would not necessarily say enjoy to the fact that I would watch the whole series now. Not that type of enjoy as in I'm gripped and I want to see the whole thing. Okay. Um, but the end of each episode makes me want to carry on watching. So that right. type of, you know, classic pace and classic end of the episode. Yeah. Is enjoyable in a way, in the sense that I want to carry on watching that particular stuff. Right. And the uh, the end of the last episode of the Dominators with the volcano actually does lead into the next story. Oh right. Okay. Uh, oh right. I wouldn't like. I, oh, they don't tell much about this, so I wouldn't know that. I would need to carry on, for example. No. I mean, each story is supposed to be separate. Yeah. But sometimes they sort of just lead into each other slightly. Okay. So they're, they're trying to escape the volcano. And they have. So do they stay on that planet? No, they have to. They have to do an emergency TARDIS launch, okay. um, and um, it goes wrong, and it leads them into a dimension where fictional characters are real. Fiction. Okay. Fictional characters from where? From fiction. 
like, like, like Lemuel Gulliver and, uh, and Serrano de Bergerac. Oh, okay, all right. Fun. Yeah. Great for the costume uh, department. Yeah. And they're all uh, out of copyright characters as well, so it's nice <laughs> and cheap. Um, you did notice that it was quite slow paced. Yes, I'm not too sure why. Having discussed it with you, maybe it's because, as you said, they they had they were restrained by the space they were shooting, so it meant that they couldn't really, you know, move the camera very fast, or they couldn't. I don't know. It, it felt quite fixed, so they yeah. probably once the camera is fixed, you've got to shoot for a long period of time, um, and maybe they they use that at the editing as well. You know, those long shots and fixed shots. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's true that the pace sometimes is slow but it doesn't matter that much I don't know do you think it matters for a sci-fi it depends I mean this is it's trying to be like a, a an, you know an adventure serial oh, okay. with good guys and bad guys so I think it needs to be quite fast paced yeah and lots of incident and, and action um, originally the Dominators was going to be six episodes okay and the script editor on the series rewrote it and trimmed it down to five because he felt it was just too long and there wasn't enough okay. story. And the writers got very upset and took their names off it. And, they never, and they never worked on Doctor Who again. <laughs> they had copyrights on the scripts and then it got changed and they that's had, why they were upset? Uh, they had copyright on the uh, characters but they'd sold the scripts. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, but they still had the right, I think under union rules, to take their names off mm-hmm. if they wanted. They would okay. still get paid. Um, but um, it's credited to Norman Ashby, which is the yeah names, the whole way through yeah the names of their fathers-in-law. Who's there? I mean, uh, Merlin Hazeman and Henry Lincoln. Okay. Who wrote it? Okay. Uh, but it was their, their the net first names of their fathers-in-law. Okay. They made up the name. <laughs> and they'd written for a number of Doctor Who stories, and they never wrote for Doctor Who again. Again. Yeah. Because they were so upset. Yeah, because they felt their work was being treated badly. Uh, okay. They were real artists, right? Well, they felt that the whole story about how young people need to listen to older people about how some people are bad and you've just got to fight them, they thought that, you know, this is being watered down too much. Okay. Well, the, I mean, the pace was a bit slow at the beginning, but I think maybe it's because you want to set the scenes and you want to make sure that everything is understood properly, but little by little, when all the characters are in, then the pace catches up, doesn't it? Yeah, once you have enough sort of things to keep, keep it going. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the part one of a Doctor Who serial is traditionally sort of quite spooky and eerie. Oh, you're, in, okay. you're in a weird situation. You don't know what's going on. There's mm. an island that's supposed to be covered in radiation, but there's nothing there. Yeah. The guy lands there with his pals, and all his pals are killed, and he's left on his own. And so there's all this stuff set up, but then once you get everything together, it should move at a bit more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the traditional length for a Doctor Who serial is four episodes. Okay. And that's quite nice and pacey. So already, the... Um, writers had two more episodes to develop their stories. Yeah, well, normally it was four, but there'd be longer ones as well. Oh, okay. it's, it's over the course of the whole series. It's varied. They started out doing like seven episode stories quite regularly. Okay, and then by the end of the eighties, it was three or four episodes. Hmm. Were they longer? The longest one ever uh, was twelve. Okay, there was one that was fourteen, but it kind of divides up into subdivisions. Okay. And it wasn't made as one story. Mm, that's probably why. Uh, but this is one of only three five-part stories. Mm-hmm. Where are the other ones? Uh, the other one is the one immediately after this one. Okay. Uh, the Mind Robber, the one about the fictional world. Because that was supposed to be four, but it inherited the episode that was cut from the Dominators. 
Okay. So they had to write a completely new episode to tag onto the beginning of that. Yeah, yeah. And it's the only Doctor Who episode with no writing credit. <laughs> because the scriptwriter just had to write the whole thing yeah. on his own with no other actors. Yeah. With no other sets that they didn't already have. Mm-hmm. So the inside of the TARDIS and... Oh, do we actually get to inside? Oh, yeah, we don't, we don't see it in the Dominators, uh, but yeah. we do normally see it quite regularly. Because I was quite intrigued in the first episode. You see it arrive and then you never see it again, or barely. You see it, like, yeah. in episode four or whatever, I think, episode four now. You were, Well, at the time, the, the Doctor couldn't steer the TARDIS. Yeah. Um, so the idea is it's really just a way of getting from place to place. It's not mm. really involved in the story at all. Because I, f- I thought that it was going to you know, play a bigger role. Right. Be- maybe because uh, I don't know what, what he does usually yeah. with the TARDIS. I thought, ooh, that's an excellent machine. Yeah. I, want it to u- I want him to use it a lot more. And you know when he says, oh, what about we do this to escape? What about we do this? And I'm thinking, just get into your TARDIS. Or... Well, yeah, but you're leaving behind all the Dulcians to be killed by the Dominators. Oh, well. Maybe you can come back later? But he can't steer it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see. Uh, what did you think of the Dominators as villains? Not credible. No, between them Not they could fuck up a boiled egg. Yeah, maybe. Oh, I don't know. Maybe because of the conflict between the two. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, their their appearance. Yeah, no, not threatening <laughs> at all. They look like ancient tor- toy- ninja tortoise, right? Is that how you say oh, it? Ninja, ninja turtles. Ninja yeah. turtles, yeah. Yeah, they look like that. Maybe because of the, the carapace. And, oh, yeah, uh, the, the big shoulder yeah. thing. I'm not. I wasn't really intrigued by that, um, and the fake scales. They they seem to have like reptile scales or fish scales on them on their legs. I don't know this flappy thing. Oh, that was that was. I think that was just part of the costume. I I don't like that. It was distracting as well. Um, and they're, they're made up to look kind of dark. It's it again. It's sort of weirdly sort of. Oh, they're invaders and they're all kind of dark skinned. Everyone. Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, is sort okay. of quite light skinned and apparent and. I don't know if you heard in the commentary, apparently there was sort of slight gold makeup mixed yeah, in. Yeah, yes, the you were saying. So they were sort of slightly gold skinned okay. to make them look. I thought she just light. talked about the hair of the woman. No, apparently it was in the makeup as well. Oh, okay. So they, so they look slightly lighter in black and white. Oh, it didn't. Oh, oh, it's okay. Dark skinned people invading light skinned people. That's a bit weird. I didn't see it. I didn't see it like that at all. I didn't think about it. Maybe because they. I don't know. No. I didn't see it like that. Maybe because the, the Doctor Who is, is dressed in a dark costume as well. Yeah, he's got the black hair. Yeah. It's always got black hair as well. Yeah. But, yeah. I can see it now that you're saying it. I, yeah, that it's, you're pointing it at does, it. The Dominators does stick out as the only right-wing story in like 50 years <laughs> of Doctor Who. I don't, I, I don't like them in the sense that, of course, they're, they're trying to take advantage of another um, people. Yeah. But I don't see them as a threat, particularly physically. They don't look threatening. Because they look they, a bit ridiculous. They had to have the quarks to do everything for them. Yeah. But that's what you have usually. You have an army of slaves or minions to do things for you, right? So you don't. You just yeah. need to say, drill. Stop drilling. Oh, they are like they? minions, aren't they? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but, and because they, they talk in incomprehensible language. Yeah, I had to, I had to really pay attention. Um, that, I mean, the, they are doing. They are speaking English. It's just that it's so processed. You mm. can't understand the word they're saying. They're really cute. I wouldn't I, go I, that I, far. I, I find the quarks really cute. <laughs> they're, and they're little, like they're like little children running around <laughs> while the supposedly serious villain gets angry all yeah. the time. Yeah, that's true. It's like pre-Disney <laughs> type of characters. 
But no, I think uh, coming back to the dominators, also the fact that we only, s as you said, the, you see the fleet at the beginning, so you understand that they're invaders, but you only see two of them throughout the throughout the episode, kind mm. of. So I don't I I don't see them as a threat because there's only two of them, even if they've got their little quarks. I I just yeah no I don't buy into it. Sorry. That's okay. Um, what did you think of them? I think that. I think the big problem is just they don't have the money and resources to do it properly. Oh. I think if they... <laughs> it all boils down to money it, and resources. It, I mean, it really does. I mean, if if they thought about maybe how to make the Dominators a more credible threat, that they're this sort of all-conquering army yeah. who now suddenly turned up at this little piece yeah. of backwater, there's, there's something you could do with that as an idea, but they've just gone for the, the most basic aliens invade, they want to smash everything up, they want to take lots of slaves... It's really, really simple. And at the time, Doctor Who was written for children. Oh, was, okay. I, mean, it was, I put things in perspective now. It was intended, it was made by the BBC's drama department rather than the children's department. Okay. And it was shown in a family slot. Oh, yeah, so like a family show. Yeah, it's like Saturday, like half past five. Okay. But the main audience was always intended to be children. Is it the case today now as well? Now it's much more... Um, Sort of older children and adults because it's on a, a later time as well it's on a sub seven-ish but still pre-watershed oh yeah it's, okay. it's definitely meant to be still a family show okay but not so much for the younger children okay maybe the children of the time have now grown up so they're part of the adult viewers yeah I mean that's that's the thing that a lot of people just grow up with Doctor Who yeah. and they watch it um, you have uh, viewers have their Doctor which is the, the the character the version of the character that was on when they started watching it mm-hmm for me, it's Sylvester McCoy, the seventh Doctor. Okay. Who was in the late 80s. And that one is the second? second? Okay. <laughs> so, uh, what did you think of the comedy? Because there's, there's quite a bit of Yeah, humor. there are some gags and some really humorous moments. I didn't expect that at all. I don't know if it's intentional or... Generally, it is. Oh, okay. Um, but now that you're saying it's for children, I really, I, I really understand why mm. it's... Because sometimes it's so obvious, you're thinking... Did they do it on purpose, or is it meant to be funny, or do I'm not sure. Are they playing on a second secondary level of humor, or mm, I don't know. Or maybe sometimes as well. I think it was funny, but not necessarily intentionally. It's me watching it in 2018, watching a black and white, you know, movie. Yeah. Um, with a slow pace, bad costumes. Um, well, really said... proper English. Um, yeah, everyone speaks really good English, doesn't it? They do. They are, I feel like I'm watching Shakespeare sometimes. It's like... That was the way actors Please. In fact, um, <laughs> when Fraser Hines started a couple of years earlier, in his first story, he does a Highland accent. Oh, yeah. And when it was decided that he was going to stay on, he changed his Scottish accent no. to make it more... Comprehensible, I guess, right? Yeah, a little bit more sort of um, flattened. Okay. Um, and a bit more easy for non-Scots to understand. Because he really prided himself on doing a, like a, a good, authentic Highland accent, but then no, it's just one BBC Scottish. Oh yeah, okay, <laughs> not Scottish, BBC, BBC Scottish. Scottish. So the way it's B BBC English is how everyone else is speaking. Yeah, but I think it lacks maybe maybe some characters lack identity because of that because they it's all the same tone in a way. Yeah, um, and it's part of for me. I find it funny, but I'm not sure that this is intentional. This all this whole. Yeah, English They're, tone, English accent. It's it's it is funny. I think in retrospect. Yeah. Because it was 
that's how actors mm. speak. They don't have regional accents. Mm. And now, of course, I mean, Doctor Who now is made in Wales, so you get a lot of Welsh actors and a lot of accents in there. But at the time, no, everyone speaks properly. Oh, is that proper? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> proper British. I've got the conflict between Rago and Toba, the two dominators. Oh, yes. They are like a married couple who now just hate <laughs> each other. They've been working together for so long. Yeah. They've, they've lived everything together. Do you think they have dinner together or they just eat separately? Yeah. No, they have dinner together but in silence. Oh, yeah. It's peaceful silence or...? No, just resentful. Oh, right. Gosh. They hate each other. I wouldn't like to ask them for dinner or something. No, it wouldn't work. Yeah, I don't know, I've, but it works though because it works in the favour of the Doctor. So you need that conflict between the two villains, yeah. don't you? It makes it gives it a bit more life. I think the um, Ronald Allen who plays Rago, I think he gives the best performance in the story. But sometimes he seems too serious. I, I you know, I, I told you that he seems really driven. Yeah. But sometimes he seems too. There's too much intent, or um, I don't know how to put it. Yeah, I feel like he's pushing on too much of his character and so he becomes less credible right he's sort of leaning into the script a bit too much and the script isn't good enough perhaps maybe yeah the one-liners are not great mm. and maybe the, the the guy on the other side trying every time he's he's starting so the 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 dominator who is dominated by the other dominator yeah. every time he's saying something he stops Claim, uh, saying his line so that the act, the other actor can come in. Oh right. And I'm thinking, oh come on, just just act normally. And maybe because the script is not well written, I don't know. It, it's a, it's that the um, the inter one interesting thing I know about old television is you can see the difference between British and American TV in how American TV comes out of cinema and British TV comes out of theatre. Okay. So it's, it feels quite theatrical in that way. You have these long scenes and big sets, um, lots of continuous takes, and very theatrical styles of acting. Mm, yep. And I think there's a, there's a bit of that where it's like someone stops talking just before they're interrupted. Yeah. It's like rehearsed conflict. Yeah. They're expecting too much somebody else to come into their... Yeah, it, need, it needs to have a, just a bit more naturalism to it. Yeah. Just, to, just to sell... Yeah. The realism of the situation. I think so, but I mean, it doesn't mean that the actors are bad necessarily. No, I mean, I, I think that that both Ronald Allen and Kenneth Ives, who play the two dominators, I think they're pretty good. Uh, I like Toba, who just wants to destroy everything. Yes. The only reason yeah. the only reason he joined the army is just because he loves blowing things up. <laughs> I imagine a grin every time. Destroy, <laughs> destroy, grin. You destroy. haven't made, you haven't made your bed. Destroy. Yeah. It's probably, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, when you go in, the, the majority of the situation on Earth, when there are conflicts, they just want to destroy, right? Yeah. Simple as that. And as you said, they don't say kill, they say destroy. No, because it's a bit too violent for, mm. for children to say kill. They do, I mean, sometimes they do, but I think here they've had it, sort of had the director say, don't, don't say kill, but you okay. just say destroy. Um, the director, I think, also never worked on Doctor Who again. <gasps> Because he, he was does. destroyed. <laughs> um, he's credited under his real name, okay. Morris Barry. He'd done a few stories uh, with Patrick Chaffin, but um, after this he didn't come back. What happened to him? Um, he retired, I think, but um, okay. because he was a BBC staff director, so he was just like, 
BBC were just saying, like, oh, oh yeah, this, he was this, plucked this in is the, and this put is on the, a project. Yeah, he was he was on salary. So okay. here, here's the new show you're directing, and then when you get to like sixty five, you retire and you get your pension. I didn't know that it worked that like like I mean yeah, yeah it's a yeah it's a massive corporate it's, company. It's when you factory. Think about it. Yeah, uh, and it's just about still like that. I think it's a shame that it's not like that anymore because it was just a factory that made television and radio. But so uh, they didn't think themselves as artists necessarily. Or entertainer. They, they didn't have to. I mean, a lot of the time they were just technicians. There are some directors, um, particularly ones on Doctor Who, mm. who were just, they just knew how to do technical stuff. And they were good at that. So who had the creative vision? Was it the writer or the producer? There was the, the producer and the script editor were the, 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 the permanent staff on the show. Okay. Uh, the producer was in charge of the pr- production of the program. The script editor would commission the scripts and work with the writers. But directors would come in for one story to the next. Some would work several times, some would just come in once. Um, the next two stories have really good directors, David Maloney and Douglas Canfield. And Douglas Canfield is the best director Doctor Who's ever had. Okay. He makes everything look like a movie. He, oh, yeah? He would like research, how did Akira Kurosawa shoot dialogue scenes? And he'd shoot dialogue scenes like that in oh, Doctor wow. Who. So the, like, the character who is the, the, knows the most is closest to the camera. Things like that. So really thinking about oh, how to right. how, bringing tension in. Yeah, really thinking about how to make it, you know, interesting and creative and yeah. dynamic, and not just having like a bunch of people standing yeah. in front of the camera. Sometimes it does feel like that in in those episodes. It does a bit. Or when they're walk, they're looking out, and then then to talk between themselves, they turn towards the camera. It's very theatrical. It's like oh, yeah. it's like, like taking two steps towards the audience and then doing a soliloquy. Yeah, like in Shakespeare. You could really see it. It feels really old-fashioned, doesn't it? Yeah, it's. I think it's a bit too theatrical, mm. and it's yeah, it's a combination of a not great script. And it's a shame because the last script they did is really good about robot yeti invading the London Underground. Right, I'm going to be scared now. It's really good. <laughs> Next time I take it's good the, It's called the Web of Fear. It's really great. Okay. Um, and Morris Barry did a couple of quite good ones, but yeah, this was end of the line for them. So yes, Cully is a weird casting because mm. he's supposed to be the young rebel, but he looks about fifty. Yeah, and he's dressed in a curtain. I I, I hesitated between a, a Roman toga and a curtain. Yeah, yeah. it's the and pleats, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's the pleats at the top. Really good pleats, though. I have to say. Yeah, it's difficult to make them, but um, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not too sure that he was probably the best. Like, I think the younger ones. Kill, the younger one killed at the beginning would have been a lot better. He looked a bit more adventurous and a bit more ready for a fight and ready for, you know, um, his um, fight with with the with the quarks or with the dominators. He looked ready. He looked I'm, the part. I'm fairly sure that actor goes on to actually be quite well known. The younger one. The one who gets killed off right at the start. Oh right. I didn't recognize him at all. Maybe he's. Uh, maybe it's because it's black and white. I don't know. Let's see if I can actually get this to work on my phone. This is exciting listening for you listeners. A man looking things up on his phone. I'm surprised you don't know, actually. I should have looked at this beforehand, to be honest. Philip Voss. Philip Voss. Um, no, sorry, it doesn't ring a bell. The name doesn't ring a bell. Uh, his television credits include Out of the Unknown. 
Elizabeth Ara and Inspector Morse. His film credits include oh. Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell and Octopussy. Oh. He was also in Vicious, the sitcom with uh, Derek Jacobi and Ian McKellen. I don't know that one either. That was from a couple of years ago. They play an elderly uh, uh, gay married couple. Okay. And he's their friend. So he has a very long career. Yeah, definitely. The Dominators was made 50 years ago this summer. I mean, I'm glad that he got a long career because he appeared like, what, two minutes on the screen? Yeah. Not even that. I mean, he had two minutes of life in the story. Yeah. He appeared probably like 30 seconds. That's a shame. But I'm not sure. Maybe the girl could have been the one going on an adventure for a change. Right? Yeah, you weren't terribly impressed by the way the female characters were treated, were you? No, not really. No, they were. I mean, Zoe came out quite well. Yeah. But the other ones, no, they were really pale characters. It's, I think it's partly a function of the society that they're supposed to be part yeah. of. That they are very passive and they say they just ac- accept what they're told. Yeah. But it does make the it does make everyone look weak, and it makes the, the female characters look even weaker. Yeah, probably. I, I agree. And all the makeup and the hair really well made, and you're thinking, and then those short skirts and translucent curtains as well. Yeah. You're thinking, why are you here? Oh yeah, because you're pretty. That's all. Probably something for the dads to watch. <laughs> that's and the of, young teenagers. That's that was kind of the theory. That's why. It, the doctor would often travel with young, attractive women. Oh. For the but Zoe is intelligent. She proves that she can question things, and she's the one finding the answers as well. Yeah, she's. I think she's a well, a well-written character, because she was, she was introduced as being this young teenage prodigy, scientific genius, mm. um, who stows away on the TARDIS because she wants to find out more about the doctor, find out more about the universe. Mm. She's got her place there, that's for sure. Mm. And she was well cast as well. Compared to the other guy, Curly. Curly? Yeah. Curly. Curly, yeah. At some point, Curly. Yeah, it's called Curly at one point. <laughs> so I thought, that's just rubbing it in. Cause yeah, somebody should have changed that, maybe in post-production or something. Well, I did notice that um, some people's pronunciation of words is different on location to in studio. Oh, right. Like at, um, Curly at one point on location calls them quarks. Quarks, 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 rather than quarks. Oh, okay. Um, and quark oh. is the correct pronunciation uh-huh. for the particle. Oh yes, of course. Okay. Um, which in turn is derived from James Joyce. Oh, I didn't know. Uh, yeah. Cool. As opposed to the popular German um, quark. Quark. <laughs> Cheese. Yeah. Cheese. Cheese. Dairy. Soft, soft dairy product. It just always looked very unappetizing. You can use it in pasta. <laughs> but but will I? <laughs> Why not? Uh, that's it, really. No. That's it. For curly, right? Curly. Curly, yeah. Um, you weren't keen on. You thought the flying saucer looked hokey. Oh god, sort of. they looked like they were a cliche. Yeah. But maybe that's what happened in the 60s. Had they been to the moon yet? No. Uh, this okay. was summer of 68, so it was a year earlier. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but even so, I mean, sometimes they come up with more interesting things. Actually, one thing you did like, I noticed, was the little travel capsules. Yeah. The little, the, the little kind of rockets they fly around uh, in. They looked really simple. They looked like a Lego piece. <laughs> um, and what I, what I found really funny is the fact that there was no link between the inside and the outside and so you had these 
the shots of the, the guys in the capsule and then straight away, you know, them in space flying, but the capsule seemed completely not moving at all. It seems really static. Oh, right. I see. So I quite like, I think it was really humorous. Just And you had to think about the link. Oh, that capsule is actually, you know, linked to the previous scene and this is the engine where they were in. And it, mm, yeah, I, I quite like them, but um, in a humorous way. I wasn't necessarily impressed. And what about the Council of Old Men? Oh gosh, what a waste of time. <laughs> it made me think of the UN. I'm thinking, mm, this is what the UN looks like, maybe. The UN Council, just a bunch of people waiting and thinking. But um, yeah, wasters. Well, the, um, the actor who plays the uh, emergency supervisor they bring in, Mm-hmm. It's Brian Kent, who became a much-loved children's television presenter. Okay. He's the one who think you're thinking, right, you get a grip. You sort out the situation, please. Yeah, they farm it out to someone else. Mm. But it worked. Almost. It, it almost worked. Right, like, he got some reaction, right? Right until he gets murdered. Yeah. But he got some reaction from the council. He did, yeah. And that's most of what we've seen. Oh, I was intrigued by that little piece of sculpture they had on their table yeah. as well. I thought it was going to play a bigger role. No, it was just a bit of space art. Okay. Just a, like, a little bit of something the designer threw in for fun. I was disappointed. I thought they were going to yeah, you know, play with it or use it to kind of communicate or help them take decision, you know, like a pendulum or something. Oh, yeah. I thought about that because at some point you see a close-up on it and you see the guys play with it. Yeah. But no. Well, I, think the I was misled, actually. I'm sorry, but uh, I'm going to have to go back to those writers. Well, one of them's dead. So. Oh, sorry, maybe not. Maybe and not. the director is also dead. And Patrick Troughton died uh, some time ago, actually. Oh, OK. Um, he would, in fact, be 98 were he still alive. OK. I'm not going to complain to them, that's for no, sure. that's fair enough. What did you think of The Doctor? A bit underwhelming, actually. I thought he was going to play a bigger role. Um... Jamie took the part, really, you know, for me was the, the not the hero, but the one, not saving the day, because the hero, uh, the Doctor does save the day, but I thought Jamie had a bigger role, Zoe had a bigger role as well. Right. Um, yeah, a bit underwhelming. Oh. Should I be, should I be feeling like that, or? Again, it's not a good story, so that's oh, okay. quite, you know, it's fine. Okay. We're a lot more, I think Doctor Who fans are a lot more tolerant, usually, to uh, dissenting opinions than, say, Star Wars fans. Okay. Because Star Wars fans have disgraced themselves in the last few months. Okay. But on, on the other hand, I don't know, I'm saying this, but I don't know what the bigger picture of Doctor Who is. I don't know, you know, how I'm supposed to, not I'm supposed to, but I don't know what he's done before or the other story with, with that particular Doctor Who. Right. And for me, he's just a character and he could have been Jamie Who or Zoe Who or whatever. I see. Um, well, he's, he's not he's not the main character for me I think that's it's more a function of this story that it, it didn't put the Doctor at the centre of things mm. I mean at, at this point in the series he's just a mysterious man who travels around time and space with his human friends yeah. and he never knows where he's going to turn up but wherever it is he has an adventure he's the one solving the problem of the adventure though at the end I yeah. give him credit for that Almost, because then Jamie has to remind him to get into the TARDIS. Or Zoe has to remind him to get into the TARDIS. Yeah. Because otherwise... Because there's lava coming towards yeah. him. He's going, mm, isn't that interesting? Oh, lovely. Let's get in then. Please, after you. No, after you. No, please, after you. They probably ended like this. It is. You did notice 
there is a lot of very English politeness all the way Oh, through. completely. It's a conflict situation, and they still say, please, could you please sit down? You're now a prisoner. Of course, I would love to oblige. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's probably part of the humour as well. Well, for me, at least. Maybe not for the people in the 60s. No, that was just how everyone spoke then. Oh, right. I'm glad I came a bit later. <laughs> <laughs> I would have found it really weird. Cool. Um, I've got some multiple choice questions. Oh, right, okay. Is there a prize at the end? Yes, you get to go on to the grand finale. Oh, right, cool. And the big prize is a caravan. Right. Does it come with insurance? Um, okay, sure. <laughs> good, good. Okay, question one. Co-writer Henry Lincoln would later co-write a book which inspired which Tom Hanks film? Cast Away, The Da Vinci Code... Or Apollo 13? Apollo 13. Wrong. It was the Da Vinci Code. Ah, oh, darn. He wrote, he co-wrote The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, the book which <laughs> made up the entire conspiracy theory upon which the Da Vinci Code oh. is based, and which Dan Brown thinks is true. Oh, right. From where was Zoe's name derived? Was it randomly chosen by a scriptwriter as a placeholder and then never changed? Was it named after the producer's cat? Or was she named after the actress Zoe Wanamaker? whose father, Sam, who would uh, instigate the rebuilding of the globe, uh, he was a friend of the script editor. A cat seems like a bit of a bizarre choice for a cat's name. The second one is in the American. The th- last one, sorry. Yeah. Sam Wanamaker. Sam Wanamaker was American okay. and lived in the UK. Oh, I'd go for that last one. I quite like it. No, it oh. was randomly chosen by oh, gosh. a scriptwriter as a placeholder <laughs> and then never changed. <laughs> Which of these is not a plot from the Doctor Who comic strip of the time? <laughs> a. The quarks invade a planet using giant wasps. B. The Doctor mass produces a robot servant for the retail market, but the quarks turn them into an army. Or C. While competing in a car race, the Doctor is chased by a quark in a stolen police car. I'll go for that last one. Sounds too much like Tub Gear. They're all true. Oh no! <laughs> Um, and the last one is, uh, in the most recent Doctor Who magazine poll, which polled thousands of readers, yeah. it ranked all the stories in the original series. In which percentile do you think the Dominators fell? So like top 15, bottom 30, that kind of thing. I don't know, I'd say bottom 10. Bottom 4. Oh gosh, that's really low. That's re- <laughs> really low. There are only six stories ranked lower. <laughs> And only one from the 1960s. <laughs> what was the last one? The, the worst one? The worst one was The Twin Dilemma, mm. which is um, Colin Baker's first story as the sixth Doctor from 1984, okay. which everyone hates. Okay. It's absolutely terrible. Oh, I'm glad I didn't have to watch that one. So am I. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have to watch that one. Oh, you haven't watched it? Oh, yeah, I've seen it before. Oh, right, okay. I've seen them all. Yeah, that's what of I thought. I, I, was, I was like, well, what? Who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> You're not going to watch it again, though. Oh, the, apparently they might release... They're releasing things on Blu-ray now. I'm going to have to watch it when it comes out on Blu-ray. Okay. Just to make sure the disc's okay. Okay. But yeah, the Doctor uh, tries to murder his new companion in the first episode. Mm. He tries to strangle his death. Okay. Was that rehearsed, or was oh, that... Yeah. It's in the script, because oh, right. okay. when he regenerates, um, sometimes that his, his mind's a bit scrambled, and that... And usually it means, oh, he can't remember who he is or he like, forgets important things. But uh, this time they decided, no, it turns him into like a murderer. 
So he tries That's to harsh go for the first it. episode. Yeah. How do you go from there? Um, I mean, if you've got six <laughs> or seven episodes to do and your main character turns out to be a psychopath. Well, by this point, they would only do like four episodes okay. for each story. But they had the idea of having that story at the end of that year's oh, run. Oh, okay. So then there was nine months until the next series. So for nine months, people were thinking, so the Doctor's a murderer now. He's someone who goes around strangling women. Mm. Was that still a family show? <laughs> not for long. <laughs> yeah, his, uh, the, the, that next season uh, is incredibly violent. Yeah. Like, really, really violent. Okay. Not the PG, then. The Doctor murders a bunch of people, mm. and uh, one person gets tortured by having his hands crushed, and you can see blood running up his arms. Okay. It's really horrible. <laughs> Maybe not. Not for me. So, based on the Dominators, yep. you're not wildly keen on seeing um, any more original Doctor Who. Probably not. Sorry about even, that. Even though, as I said, bottom 4%. Yeah, no, probably not. Okay. Sorry. Maybe maybe uh, one in colour as well? Yeah. I can only uh, give you what my special computer tells me. Okay. Sorry. Maybe next time. Oh, so you'd be willing to be on the show again. <laughs> uh, you've got a, maybe not a black and white one I don't know we'll see okay <laughs> command accepted <laughs> destroy <laughs> thanks to Emmanuel for making the time for this recording she was extremely patient my regular show Cinema Limbo is on iTunes with more than 50 episodes available so please download review and subscribe we're also on Twitter at Cinema underscore Limbo and on Podnose is also on Patreon so please do make a one-off or regular contribution to help us with our running costs. I'm also participating in the Alzheimer Society Memory Walk in October this year, so please head over to the Just Giving page at www.justgiving.com fundraising MW308839 to sponsor me. Thank you very much indeed. However, until we meet again, happy times and places. You have been listening to The Randomizer. Hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips and edited by Philip Alderman. The theme music is Dressed to Kill by Errol Reed. The Randomizer is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network. Visit us at www.podnose.com.